Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. So what do we, uh, what do we, what do we got going on this, uh, this episode? Well, I think this episode, it's okay to talk about our new sponsor. Yeah. So, uh, you heard the bumper. Um, we are now sponsored, sort of. Uh, we have an, in, an endorsement agreement right. with Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. It's Nick Bongers' uh, uh, enterprise. Uh, his slogan is loud and clear. Um, as you guys all know, I've been using Great Lakes Guitar Pickups for several years now. I've known Nick for about a year longer than that um, via a trade, actually. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud to, you know, to represent their brand and, uh, talk about the product they have. So consummate with that, we're going to be getting some, uh, some pickups coming our way over the next year months, year. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're looking at is, um, the conversation, well, kind of like this, uh, we're looking at about a year. So we're, we're going to do is like this. We're going to have 12 giveaways. And that's the plan in those, in those giveaways, what's going to happen is David and I are both going to obtain, um, uh, what we call pickup mules. Um, and there'll be guitars that may have already got some, uh, work on that front. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Um, I'll be ordering, um, one as well. And all that the pickup mule is going to do is a place. Neither one of us is using them for gigging or recording or anything like that, except for in this podcast. And what is it to do? It's to show you how the pickups will work in various situations, whether it's single coil. So we're going to have P90, six single coil, humbucker. Whatever, whatever he wants to throw have, at us. Right. So you, he's going to throw a, a – you can bet that in 12 months you won't see the same pickups twice. If yeah. you want to try to win them, you know, we'll, we'll go over some details. Yeah, that's, um, not, that's not all set in stone yet. But we'll have right. details posted in the group, and then we'll talk about it on the show when we have them finalized. So um, we haven't really figured out how we'll pick winners either. So that's going to have to be something that we do, you know, down the road. So if anybody has some ideas, throw them by. I have some. I have some ideas, Jim. But we'll talk after the show. 
Um, you got to pick. We got to pick winners different from you pick your nose. So, so the, you were saying something about your the, pickup mule. The first part of this competition for Jim and I really is to find a pickup mule for each of us. Yep. Uh, the joke being, of course, that Jim and I obviously have multiple guitars, but yes. I now, I don't have any I want to modify with pickups at this like point. Like over and over yeah, and over and over and over. Because yeah. we'll like, be desoldering and resoldering. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come up with a way to use a clip or something to just clip the yeah. pickup in there because there's no way I'm going to be redoing my wiring like every every you know month or whatever it ends up being. Um, right. So for me, like the main thing was I'm not as concerned. So the only thing that, that I thought of was like, I need to be able to test a neck and a bridge pickup. So obviously dual humbucker guitars come to mind. And, and even Nick had suggested to us, well, you can get the, um, the adapter plates from, um, from GFS. So I went on the hunt, uh, and actually right after we talked to him, we were kind of joking around and I was pulling up uh, BC rich guitars and, uh, talking about buying a warlock or, you know, one of the really cheap ones. Um, so, cause I, I didn't want to spend any money on this and, um, this is, uh, you know, one of those situations where just kind of looking around the internet, you find out what you can afford real quick. Um, and I actually stumbled on, I, I, I figured, well, I'd like to have something I could keep to the end. And I was looking at telecasters, but I'm like, but if I do a telecaster, then I have to change the bridge unless I get a humbucker, humbucker telly to begin with. And I'm like, this is not really probably going to work for me um and then uh we were both talking about epiphone g400s and then i ended up stumbling i was like well why not an ibanez like they make really solid inexpensive guitars so especially on the used market and i know they're not super popular right now so i went digging and i found uh i found a number of s series guitars and i I talked to my wife about this before and i said you know if I was going to start buying guitars at all, I was going to try to buy birth years of my kids. Oh, five, 10. And then in my case, and then I also, uh, my wife and I's birth year as well. So 84 and 85. Um, and it's, it's really funny because there aren't really much in those categories. But as I started searching, I found an Ivan, Ivan S series were reasonably priced. Um, used, you know, like the Indonesian, I think Korean ones for 2005, Indonesian for, for 2010. And uh, I kind of trolled around for a couple of days. I could get one between 300 and 400 bucks. Well, this morning I got on eBay and I stumbled across, or yesterday morning, I stumbled across one actually right as I was posting in the group for $250. And it was not a junky one either. It's it's um, got the, the uh, quilted maple top, uh, 22, I, yeah, 22 fret neck, uh, it's got the ZR tremolo system, which I'm going to have to come up with an arm for. I, I figure, um, and the guitar looked like it was in pretty good shape. So I went ahead and said, all right, well, here's my pickup mule. Um, I didn't post about it in the group because I didn't want to have to answer all the questions about, uh, is this you ending year of no gear? Look, this is absolutely a tool for the show. Um, I've already even had the discussion with my wife. It's basically like, I'm not modifying my existing guitars. Uh, they will, you know, this will be basically used for this purpose solely. Now that, um, all things being equal, I do plan on playing this guitar a little bit because I have to, I have to be able to do YouTube demonstrations of these pickups. That's, that's one of the things that's very close to my heart is the, uh, to show what they sound like. And then at the end, I want to be able to do a comparison. So I'm going to try to play the same material in each clip. So at the end, we can kind of splice them all together and you get, you know, kind of this pickup sounds like this, and this one's like, you know, and kind of compare them all. Um, 
but that whole uh, the whole thing means that I'm going to actually have to be able to play this guitar. And if you've seen if you've seen somebody pick up a guitar that they're not familiar with before and try to you know crank out something that's meaningful, it can be it can be very ugly. <laughs> so fortunately, this is a 25 and a half inch scale length. It's similar to what I'm used to. The only difference being, of course, locking. But I'll I'll deal with that. Um, Jim, have you have you made any progress? Have you have you found one yet? No, so I got I got um you did find some other stuff. We a little st- sidetrack. Um but as far as uh as far as that goes, you know, first I thought I was going to get an SG cuz honestly I thought that would be where I wanted to be. But I'm thinking I might pick up something different. So I haven't really decided um I I, I kind of want to do the um the HH uh Telecaster. So I might actually you that. can find one. I mean, that's a that's a good option. The the thing yep. with me is like I would have to be able to restore it to stock afterwards, and I didn't want to sink like two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars into a used Telecaster and then have to swap parts. Right, that was going to be too much money. So at least with the S series, all I have to do is buy a bunch of the three three dollar adapter rings from, yep. um, which is going to make this guitar look hilarious. Uh, the three <laughs> three three dollar adapter rings from uh, GFS. So, um, hopefully that works out. I was figuring like if we get a set of strat pickups, I just won't put the middle one in. Oh, actually, I think I have a, I have it. I didn't get an HH. I got an HSH, which means yeah. I can even accommodate strat pickups. Well, you know, yeah, but you're looking at a middle position. Yeah, well, my middle position will be will be body mounted. The others will be ring mounted. Yeah. That'll be kind of funny, but <laughs> exactly better than nothing, right? Oh yeah. Um, but um, as you know, I'll, I I'm looking at that. I'm also looking at possibly doing something very different that would be outside my own wheelhouse. So we'll see what happens and uh, I'm calling what comes it now. up. You know that I'm going to go look at a, a legacy, right? You know that I'm going to. Oh, I didn't know you done. That. I didn't know if you'd done that already. Yeah, no, I haven't done that. So I am going to go look at that legacy. We there is a G and L legacy tribute locally that uh, and you know I want to go check if out. It's not your cup of tea. I won't be upset. I will tell you this, though. I'm going to bring my S500 to uh, GearFest, so you'll get a chance to play them. Um, they're actually kind of a... The pickups are a whole different animal. So, And if he, and if that doesn't work out, they have right there, they have a, um SG that I can grab and use that as a pickup mule. Because honestly, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I'm going to put up a, put a different set of pickups. Would, anyway, you be, yeah. would you be looking at the Legacy as a pickup guitar? And, and um, see, that's just it. I'm thinking the legacy is a guitar that I want to get as a strat. Right. And I was going to say, you don't want to do that anyway, because that legacy, the, the pick guards are, are proprietary. I know. Yeah. They, yeah. They're only off by like, a, like two millimeters, but they're, they're proprietary. That was done on purpose. Yeah. Um, so that they couldn't say, yeah, that was right. Um, but they do have uh, a humbucker, single, single, um, uh, Telly there too, so I got a couple of options to look at while I'm there. Um, our local guitar center. I'm really excited um, about this. I I'm actually looking yeah. forward because like I've so I've played you know obviously we've all played a bunch of guitars, but very rarely do you get the opportunity to put this many pickups in one guitar and see exactly. what the pickups actually do. And that's why I'm excited. Um, I'm glad that that Nick has decided to partner with us for this because as yep. I was looking at the the, the project, and I was thinking you know. I get really scientific with this stuff. We've still got the string challenge that we got to get out there, but I, I, I assure you the clips are extremely scientific in the sense that 
I did they I mean literally played the same riff for like six months. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard to do because you have to remember it. Oh yeah, no, and every time remember, I did it, I had to figure out how I played it the first time. <laughs> exactly, because because it's the one and only time when you gotta do something the same, not only note for note, but style wise. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's for me, it was very simple. I gotta get mine uploaded this weekend so that we can put that up. Um, very simple and very um articulate and very as you'll see when you hear it uh very similar sounding very little differences so just so just so people who are like new to the show and maybe didn't hear about the pick the the uh string competition originally um the string competition that we put together is that the prize will be death wish coffee um i originally we had talked about giving away one bag and then the runners up would get, you know, like signed stickers or something from, from Death Wish. I think what we should do, Jim, I think we should just buy three bags of coffee. And yeah, then and just give give yeah. three bags, one to each of the, the three people that come closest to getting it right. Because I think so. I have a lot of clips. I, I mean, if you were to listen to all my clips back to back, you have probably 15 minutes worth of audio. I'm not sure. Jim and I have to find a way to pare this down because because there's no way that you're going to be able to tell the difference if you have to listen to like, here's me playing clean for five minutes and here's me playing clean for five minutes again. You really need shorter segments than that. Um, So once we get it all straightened out, I know people have been asking in the group. um, We are still doing this. We just have to get the audio put together and there's a little bit of coordination that has to happen there. And Jim and I just have not had a whole lot of time to do it. Yeah, you got to remember there's what, five, four or five sets of strings. So each clip has um, uh, a a new set. So the the new set, yeah, and then that same set a couple Worn weeks out. later, right? You know, or three weeks later, and then a new set, and then that same set a few weeks later, and so on and so forth. And we've got uh, let's let's go back over them. So we've got um, uh, we did Ernie Sutton, Balls, Ernie Ball, which was Ernie Ball. We did NYXLs. NYXLs. We did. Um, we did uh, Gabriel Tenorio custom strings. Yep, GTs and uh, String Joy. String Joy. And wasn't there one other one? I'm trying it to It seems think. like there was, but I can't recall who it would have been. It was Diderio. Nine, Diderio did the NYXLs, right? Yes. Did we do Boomers? I can't remember. No, if we, we did. didn't. We didn't. We talked about. Oh, it. we did Ernie Balls. That's why. Yeah. So we did the the balls. That was I mean, our. Ernie that balls. was our cut. Our, our our basic. Our basic bitch set was the Ernie Balls. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> maybe play him again. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Leo Fender, honestly, so if you guys know the history of Fender, uh, when he left Fender Musical Instruments, which was not called FMIC at the time, um, he sold it to CBS. He left. He'd had a non-compete for a couple of years, so he started um, – his his engineering company, I, I, the name escapes me right now. He did Music Man, which was a yep. collaboration between him and Ernie Ball, which is why it's not Ernie Ball Guitars, it's Ernie Ball Music Man because they wanted to continue the brand. So the yep. funny part about that is when they split, Leo Fender had nothing good to say about Ernie Ball Music Man. They just they no, did not see eye to eye. It was a it was a nasty nasty business deal gone bad. And so yep. anybody out there who if you put your Ernie Ball strings on your Fenders. Or your your GNLs, uh, you're just asking for trouble. It's bad karma. Yep. <laughs> yep. The uh, so yeah, there there was no love lost when those two split. 
Let's speaking of splitting fenders, let's talk about that uh that fender stratocaster so, you sent me. Yeah. So in the <laughs> in the group, by the way, those of you interested, um, if you go in, check out the group, I put a couple of um uh things that I found online. One was recommended to me by Facebook. And I just had to laugh. And you'll see it, it's on reverb. Um, and it says Fender Stratocaster guitar sunburst. Okay. Cause you know, I'm looking for a pickup mule. I'm like, wow, 250 bucks. Yeah. This is cheap. For a, this is cheap. Yeah. Take a look at the back of it. Oh my There's God. A split that starts at the, um, at the bout of the guitar, right in the center, you know, where it kind of swoops down and comes back up right there in the center. I thought of the bout. it was through neck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. And that's what it makes it look like. The guy goes, it's minimal and not all the way through. Minimal my ass. It's all the way through that piece of wood, you idiot. It looks and, like the uh, guy flick a fucking coping saw to it. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, oh, it was, it was um, professionally um, uh, glued. It, it, yeah, it looks, looks like there's like, a goddamn gap in it. <laughs> like he looks like he never bothered to push the two pieces of wood together. You know, like, yeah, like where, wait, wait, you, you didn't have the right fucking clamp. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you could use a vice. You could use a clamp. It's it's it that, that, this all even... the way from the bout all the way down the guitar. Did you see the? the did you see the back of the headstock? The, uh, what's that? Did you see the back of the headstock? Oh yeah, I'm getting to that. <laughs> so. All he did, it doesn't even look like he bothered with the finish. He just, it like he just filled it in with putty and glue, and that was it. And so then I'm like, well, it's the back of the guitar. Mm, uh, maybe I can live with that. Of course, I would way lowball him at this point. I was like, I'll throw him a hundred bucks. Then I saw the back of the headstock. It has a break, a, a break all the way from about um, the uh, B string. Um, tuning key. It's exactly what it is. All the way down. That split, that that cracked along that where that yep. that tuning key was drilled, and it yep. literally broke the headstock in half. It broke it right in half. That that guitar is well. The neck is garbage. It's totally garbage. Yeah, it's. I would throw that out because of the way he fixed it. Usually, I would the say the body you know, is totally garbage too. Yeah, I would say that you know, it, it, but this thing isn't even good for a parts guitar. What he should have done, okay. For those of you that are listening, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I got to point out a couple more things before I before I move on with my with my analysis of this. But they, they, this is a sunburst guitar, right? So any sort of damage like this on the body, you're going to see yep. it. Yep. And if you look at the back of the guitar in the pictures, and I, I'll try to post a couple of them in the show notes if I can. Um, it's really a pain in the ass to post pictures and show notes. But if you look at the um, at the back of this thing. It goes right through where the um, where the black part of the sunburst is right into the regular part of the two tone. And you can I mean, it's like super clear and super obvious. You could have probably filled this in even with super glue or something like like a thick super glue and then sanded the guitar back down and finished the back black. And you'd never know it was there because on the front, the, the top is so plain. Yep. You just can't see it. Right. Um, it's there. There's almost no figuring in these pictures from, from what I can tell. And they're really poor pictures too, but you and can, of course not- the headstock break, the headstock break is clean through. Cause you can see it splitting the top of the F and the D yeah. um, in fender. This thing is just 
It's trash. No. He's trying to get $250 for trash. No. And if you look at the E-string, look at the glue yeah. residue. He just He didn't even take there. the tuner out. Like, he just glued right on top of the tuner, which makes me wonder if the tuner is even functional. Um, um, but as I look at this, as I look at this turd, like... <laughs> <laughs> it is a turd. I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, like, there is a use for this guitar, Jim. And I wonder if, if this guitar's up there after a while, like I might actually make an offer of like, you know, like 25 bucks or something. As we get this yep. guitar, you know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to smash it. <laughs> smash it to pieces. I'm going to oh, throw yeah. it off the roof of my condo or something. Because oh, um, yeah. it, it'll make good YouTube content. Um, yeah, I understand that throwing guitars off of things make great YouTube content. Well... I, I'll find a creative way to demolition this thing. It won't be. I'm not going to do the 60 second. I'm not going to go to a bridge and throw it off a bridge. I'm not that much of a troll. What? But but I might I might like tie it to what? the back of a car and have them pull me slowly as I sit on it or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'll come up with something crazy. Um, we should also ask um, uh, if Nick wants to do. Well, I'll bring it up on the side. Yeah, that's a discussion. I'm, I'm looking at bases, and I'm thinking, you know, it'd be interesting to do at least one base. He does do bass pickups, so I have a uh, my my jazz bass has some crazy hand wound bass pickups in it right now. Yeah, um, just an interesting reason to buy another cheap bass. Like a, I've been looking at Fender Squires, believe it or not. I have a I have a square hanging in my bedroom that I'm going to pull mm-hmm. the frets out of and turn into a fretless because uh, the truss rods, like the, the uh, yeah. uh, it's stripped. I mean, I could buy the tool to actually like turn the truss rod, but at this point, I'm just like, it's such a piece of shit. It's not even worth it. Oh yeah. So speaking of giant turds, um, so there's a guy that had um, my, of course, Facebook has Marketplace. Marketplace made a recommendation to me, and I'm like, <laughs> does it really think that I want this piece of garbage? So another one, folks, that's in the in the group, and you got to take a look. It just says custom guitar because it's got no name brand. It's just custom. Kind of looks like it was a body, like it was supposed to be a PRS. It looks like a first. It looks like a fret. first act. It's it's some kind of. I didn't. Um, I didn't know. I'm not I don't sure know what, what kind of is, uh, pickups these are, but they are Seymour Duncan uh, uh, active pickups. Um, yeah, because the body's such, this, so much trash. You need active pickups. It's. I wouldn't give 150 dollars for this thing, and he I wants th- eight. Hundred dollars. The art's cool. I mean, I'll give him that, and it, and it stands what, up to the Japan for. It stands up to the Ryan test, which is that it looks right if you're playing it. But as I look at this thing, uh, look at the back. Eight hundred dollars for this? Really? I know that's what I'm saying. Eight hundred dollars for a PRS knockoff. It was probably a Harley Benton or I something. I could probably commission somebody to do art cheaper than that. I oh, mean, that has. Oh my God. The, it, it's got a Dean headstock yeah, on it. Yeah, it's got a Dean style headstock. Fi- um, not, uh, as, and a not quite as pointy. Thing. And then they yeah. actually like they did the finish all the way up the neck. Oh God! Now here's the thing that, right. that never mind. I, like I lied. This thing looks terrible. Here's the things I like about it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you can see the spider now on the back and the web yeah, and everything. At first, I thought that was some kind of weird thing that was reflecting in his room, like it was some goth kid or something. But then I realized that was in the finish. But if you look, so it's got Grover tuners. I mean, locking Grover tuners, right? Yeah, hey, yeah. For $800. Um, and then it goes downhill from there. It's got a, it, it's obviously a kit guitar. He did say it was custom built, yeah. built from a kit. Um, Hand brushed professionally, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it's a bolt-on 
supposed to look like a glued on, but it's a bolt on. I'm just not digging that body. There's something wrong with the I'm fact not, that it's 24 frets fitting that body and where yeah. it meets the like. I, the other thing is, I, this is obviously setting that. Well, no, it's a bolt on. No, bolt I'll on, bet you. Still- I'll bet you this was supposed to be constructed set neck. And they yep. put it together bolt on because if you look at it where that is, the screws yeah. for the bolts are going right underneath the pickup cavity. Yeah, that's that's what scares me about this. There's a lot more. There's a lot more going on here that's a little weird. But that yeah. that piece right there, I mean, this is kind of similar to you, you said PRS. It is the body is just the wrong shape for 24 frets. It just doesn't yeah. look right. Nope. Um, so. Nope. I'm, Everything looks wrong with this guitar. At the risk I of just, going 260 cycle on it, yeah, I, this thing has no market. <laughs> so I'm going to give two thumbs down. This yeah, this guitar. is pretty crappy. Jim, get, Jim, you've been this stuff's just been showing up for you lately. Like, we I'm almost you, have I'm to afraid. do an ads episode because of this. Like, he oh. sent me both of these this evening, and I just, I, the first, when this one he sent me, and I'm like, yeah, I mean the front of the guitar is cool. The back of the car- guitar looks like shit. And then as I started looking at it here, I'm like, there's some other issues with this thing. And the tuners well, are not, not mounted sure. straight either, by the way. I think the problem is no, they're not. And I think the biggest problem with this one that I have that that I as I look at it more and more, none of the artwork makes sense. No, I mean there's a there's a skull in no. a f- bunch of green flames. I, I I'm not I, sure. I have the logic. And- this guy got really high and came up yeah. with this concept and then painted it himself. But then the black, the back is black and white, which I think if he just stuck to one of the concepts, it might've worked, but the, so the black and white back with the skull in flames. Eh. I, I, I wondered if that's was his attempt. Then the flames go up the headstock and you think, okay, you're going to get flames at the top. Nope. Let's put a spider in a web at the top. What's a spider in a web got to do with the flames? Isn't the spider going to get burned? I'm not sure. I, I, the whole, I guess I just don't get the whole new heavy metal scene. I'm lost in it. This has nothing to do with heavy metal. This is. This uh, is definitely a fugly guitar. Yeah. If you guys have some more fugly guitars, post please them in feel the group. free to share. Post them in the group. We like to laugh at them. We love fugly guitars. It's just one of those things. As Jason Fugmonger sh- um, shared today, uh, Mr. Ingve Malmstein, Aeolians. 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 <laughs> I was saving that for the outro, but okay, Aeolians. The Aeolian scale. <laughs> what do we got aeolians! now, Aeolians! Because <laughs> Aeolians. Aeolians. Uh, yeah. You got to see the hand, Jester. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's next? I got to get my hair up like that. That's what's next. Yeah, yeah you, so, got a, you got a long way to go from the hair. We talked about... Here's my conversation for tonight. Um, I even as S series, Epiphone G four hundred. We need to talk yep. about. I, I had an interesting thought. How? Because yes, now we're having to change the seasons, and here it's been really cold the last two days. Um, it went from eighty degrees on Monday or whatever to yep. forty degrees the next day, and oh. it's been between forty and fifty yesterday, and then forty. I think it got up to to fifty one today. So we've been actually tonight. We're supposed to have a hard frost. It's going to be 20 degrees tonight. Back oh my up to, gosh. Back up to 40 and forties and fifties tomorrow. So uh, it's going to be this way basically for the remainder of the month. I think we have one day in the sixties on the, on the thing. So winter is here. Not winter is coming. It's here. 
Um, but this brought me to the point I was thinking about, like, how do people deal with playing in adverse situations? And I can remember several years ago seeing, uh, I think it was the Utah uh, Olympics when they were in Salt Lake. And there was bands playing in this open venue and it was cold as shit. And I'm like, really? Like, you're going to make these guys not wear, you know, gloves and play their instruments on stage? Like, how do nope. people deal with that kind of stuff? And there's other adverse situations. Obviously, high heat is another adverse situation. Yep. Um, and that okay, kind of yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I've, I've played outdoor gigs in all those, and unfortunately, some indoor gigs in those. Positions. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say it wasn't, but it was. Because what'll happen is they'll say, "Oh, you know what, guys, just stand over there by the door." Yep. And uh, if you've ever suddenly played you can hear really... your guitar going out of tune while you're playing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just it's just horrible. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about those. So um, let's start with the cold. You're about to deal with the cold. We're going to get cold here shortly. So how are you going to deal with the cold? Well, not just playing in adverse situations. All right, we... you can't play in gloves. I mean, let's face it. Can't no, feel your face. You just got to freeze your dick off or your. So how do you how do you keep your... from? Because you can get you know, problems with your fingers. How do you keep your fingers warm when you're playing in gloves or without gloves? Cause I do have some ideas for you. That... You probably have more than I do. Fortunately, I have never had to put myself through like playing in freezing conditions. Yeah. Um, I have been in that situation where I've had to play near a door. Um, or my personal favorite is the club doesn't turn on their heat or their AC until like right before people go on stage and people start coming in the bar. <laughs> That one's bad too, especially on hot days. And you go in, it's like, it, it, especially if you have to set up for like two hours before you play, because you set up and then you sit around and you wait, and they don't turn the AC on. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, give us something, you know, yeah. water or something. Like, this is insane. Um, and I've had the same same thing happen with with heat in the winter too. But it's never really that cold. Like, you could be in there and it could be fifty degrees. You know, yep. you're setting up, so you're not wearing your coat, but you're but yep. you're cold enough. You're like, man, I really don't want to sit here that long. Yep. Um, but so nothing like those so guys. Bad. It's really not so bad in the winter. Uh, it, it doesn't matter in the winter, summer, whatever. Once the guitar has a little time to acclimate, if you've had a half hour, forty five minutes. Yeah, it should be fine. an hour's better. It's it's okay as long as you're not um, getting cold, getting hot, getting cold, getting hot. Try to get away from a door if possible. Try to stay away from air conditioning vents. You do have a vent over you, even though it feels good. It's kind of um, bad for your guitar as far as staying in tune. Um, but if you're okay with fighting tuning, there's comfort and there's I, tuning. I've always found that, that humidity has a bigger effect than – and yep. the air AC is bad for that. Uh, the humidity has a bigger effect than the heat-cold difference. But that's I think that's because when it's colder, it's drier. It's yep. warmer, it's more humid, so if you're going back and forth, yes, it's going to cause your guitars to get out of whack. Yeah. So, um, there was uh, um, what what we did, or what I've done, in the case of playing outdoors in the cold, um, I get those uh, hand warmer things, those packets, mm-hmm. and I break them, and I put them in my pockets, and that way, between songs, I just stick my hand in my pocket. And that's really... All you can do, um, those of you who are against uh, scratching your guitar with a zipper or a button, you know, you get a jacket that has those little covers over it. But otherwise, you're just going to have to deal with that. You're going to have some, that's, you know, you're going to have some rash. Uh, personally, um, 
just just remember to wear to dress warmly and uh, uh, keep those things um, on you. They they come in great and handy, and you can find them at the dollar store. You can find. I mean, I mean, if you're cold enough that you have to wear a jacket, I would I would like to think that you might have the good fortune of asking someone to put in some sort of heater on stage. I'm not talking about electric heater, but some sort of you know either propane heater or something like that. And well, I've these things are typically before. they're fairs. They're um, you're outdoors. So you're at a fair or you're at uh, like a state fair, like Virginia's putting on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got. Uh, yeah. Virginia state fair in October. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> Just say. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I know. Right. Um, and then they've got. Uh, um, if you're doing like uh, campsites, it's a lot of campsites stay open now until November. Yeah. Um, and into November. Um, so <clears throat> even in New York, uh, rodeos played outdoor rodeos at this time of year. Um, really it's just about making sure that, that, yeah, you're wearing a jacket. You are wearing a jacket. Yeah. Um, fingerless gloves come in really, really handy. You can get some of those light gloves like you get for, uh, um, cell phones that have the cell phone tips, but cut the tips off. Um, and if you're smart, cauterize them some way. When I say cauterize them, you know, so they'll uh, get make it stuck so on they're the, not yeah, so they get stuck fraying. on the strings and then fraying everywhere while you're playing. Right. So you can, you know, you can do a lot of things, but nothing can stop the fact the fact that it feels like your strings are ice and you're touching ice the whole time. It's it. It's one of those times when being the lead singer of the band is better than being, yeah. <laughs> or being the drummer or being even the bass player could get away with those um, fingered gloves because you know. Yeah, a lot they of bass players wear gloves anyway. So yeah, um, yeah, we're the we're the ones that get screwed on that one. So if you we are obviously if you can request it, probably a better option. Yeah, a lot of times they'll put a space heater. Like you know, <laughs> those things can be dangerous, but they'll yeah. put them yeah up on the stage and stuff like that. So it's a it's a good idea to get yourself you know get your hand behind your back and get that heater and grab a little heat. Um, it just comes down to being ready. And in warm and, soup and in warmer weather, hot weather. And I think that's probably people are a lot more familiar with dealing with hot weather. Like if you ever played a fourth of July show anywhere, um, it's going to be outdoors. It's going to be awful, you know, depending on where you're at in the country um, here, it gets really muggy about that time of year. So um, I went, I had the, the good fortune. I went to go see Eric Johnson on a July 4th show, but the band that opened up for him had that had the tough time and they played, um, Gosh, they played like a twenty-song set or something. It was like two hours, like music. And the, the the guitar player was sticking picks to his body. That's how that's how bad the humidity was. And um, I can recall they they sat down to do a couple of acoustic songs, and the acoustic guitars were so out of tune that they were actually adjusting the truss rod on stage. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it was horrendous. Yeah, um, I can't even imagine. Uh, trying to play an acoustic nowadays. With, I'm watching know. these guys get get sunburned, blistered on this on stage while they're doing this, and I mean they they they'd used sunscreen, but it was just there was just so much UV, like it wasn't going to oh. do anything. Um, not to mention the fact that it's so hot, you're just sweating the sunscreen right off. Yeah. Um, yep. And it, if you had any on your forehead, it's getting into your eyes. It's yeah. Burning like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um. So. 
they get about halfway, three quarters of the way through their set, and I see them getting their towels and wiping their faces and wiping their eyes off because they, you know, they're like their eyes are on fire. Um, and I just thought to myself, like, I don't want to do that. I don't, I just don't want to play outdoor gigs in the summer like that. That are you know like local festival gigs or whatever because they're just they're they, they're straight up painful. They're the ones that pay. I know they <clears throat> are. I know, but and, they and, have to because nobody will do them if you don't. Uh, the fact is yeah um so a lot of times you'll have a um now of course you got riders and you got contract um things and um they'll say oh yeah we've got cover for the band but they can't account for the sun and so typically the cover only protects you at noon (laughs) yeah yeah the cover's like 10 feet over your head um, and it's always, oh, look, it's it's now the stage is closed in behind you. There's a cover over your head. And where's the sun? Right in your face. Always right in your face. And you're sweating. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've sweated so badly. I've had to change my guitar a couple times during the show because it's just my arms. and Yeah, you, ha- you actually have to take a just- towel or a cloth yep. and actually wipe the guitar out. Meaning, yep. like, you take the pickups out, get in there. And yep, like, and yeah, it's it's not I've been a there. pretty, pretty thing at all. And nope. um, you're, I, you're it, washing that fretboard off, and you can you get the gunk off it, the gunk off your strings. You wonder why you want to change your strings a lot during that time of year. You see why. Yeah, and so yeah. that's, I think that's harder on the instruments for the, for the, the summer stuff, I think, than, than the cold, only because, like, acoustic guitars, will split if they dry out or anything like that. And they can get in those kind of conditions where there's just the, you yep. know, the sun's beaming down. Um, the one that actually frightens me the most, and it's fortunately is one I've never had to deal with myself, but is rain. And I, I've seen a lot of people have to yep. play a gig in the rain. And yep, that's another one. And those are dangerous. They were more dangerous when we were doing it in the seventies and early eighties, but they're still um, dangerous today. Even, I mean, it's, it's, you're dealing yeah. with electricity and yep. rain. Um, yep. I almost wish that, that when those kind of situations happen, like we, you could do an acoustic set because at least you have the distance between you and the microphone. Like if you're uh, with an electric guitar, you got no distance between you and something that could shock the hell out of you. I mean, you're sharing the, the, gr- the strings are your ground essentially. Yep. So. Yep. And again, when you get, when you get sweaty, sweaty, sweaty like that, I mean, it's, it's another situation where you're, you know, at least your amp isn't getting wet. Um, now I've I've been out there when people are throwing tarps over the amps, and I'm like, you do realize those are speakers, and they do need to push air. But uh, <laughs> I've seen more and more um, products designed to help deal with inclement conditions like that, yep. especially rain. Um, there's mm-hmm. a helix shield that you can actually put over your Helix that'll basically keep the water off of it and keeps people from being able to spill beer on it. Yep. Um, it's a really popular product. Uh, for Yeah, it's for like a clear plastic thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, I could totally see that kind of stuff becoming a, a more common invention as people get more comfortable playing, you know, these kind of nasty situations. Um, I, I was also thinking, so yes, the adverse conditions obviously present unique physical challenges. like cold yep. and the fingerless gloves and those kind of things. Um, but the other thing is like it, it, it lowers your morale like really yeah. bad. And so how yeah. do you, how, and I'm going to ask you this 
specifically, but how how do you muster up the morale to soldier through one of these performances? Okay, so I'm a I'm a total diva. Anybody that's played shared stage with me knows I am such a fucking diva. Um, so one of the things uh, that I do, I don't drink. Okay, so that's a biggie um, when I play, but I may have a shot. Um, but the big thing that I do, um, the biggest thing that I do is I put myself in the mental, um, state that says I'm going to have fun. I am going to have a blast. And that, that comes with, you have to know how to do it for yourself. For me, it's, um, finding something that I can laugh at, um, or, or with, um, usually at, um, so I'm an awful person. Um, and what I will um, typically do is uh, I'll, you know, uh, play around my guitar. I'll talk to people. Um, if I'm singing a lot, I, I tend to stay in myself. I, I make sure I hydrate. Uh, you'd be surprised. That's another thing. We talked about the physical part, but even in the cold stuff, you had better hydrate. Even if you're not singing, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Because the cold is dry. It's dry in your fingers. You think those calluses are bad? If you don't have enough liquid in you, you could see your skin split just like that. Um, but anyway, moving along with that, uh, put yourself in a good frame of mind. Talk to people you like. Get, you know, do you have to call your mom physically, literally? Do you have to call your mom, call your dad? Hey, I'm getting ready to go up here. Can you give me something to, you know, think about a memory that that makes you happy. Think about think about why you do this because if it's if it's about the green stuff, it's going to be a lot harder. Um, yeah, to put yourself through that. I always tell myself and remind myself every time. Uh, they pay me to set up. They tear, pay me to tear down. They pay me to drive home and drive back. Um, and that's it. Because honestly, there's just nothing good about um, uh, they doing this just for the money. Nothing good about it. I mean, if it's just a job, I'm not saying that that you can't do it. A lot of people do it. I'm I'm 100 sure there are 100 musicians that phone it in or give it a half-assed job. But you have to get up there and you have to be a consummate professional. And just remember this: you're up there number one because you love to. But number two, if you want to call back, you'd be surprised at how little the um, and I think I've mentioned this before, but how little the group of people who make decisions to hire you is. Yeah. It's because like either one person or maybe two people. Let's say, let's say you're doing like a friend of mine um, who, who uh, books uh, gigs for um, uh, casinos. He does like 40 casinos. So obviously it's not just one state it's entire regions. Yeah. So if you get a bad rap at casino a, because you didn't like the color of M&Ms in the box or whatever, you start throwing a little um, diva hissy fit, guess what's going to happen? Name's going to become shit. If you start throwing people out of your band every time, I can tell you right now, I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to a band and, and uh, uh, you're, the, you're the fifth guitar player we've had. That's usually a bad sign. Yeah, that's, and, that's I, usually if I hear something like that, hmm, maybe I yeah. shouldn't be the guitar player at all. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not the guitar players. Um, so, but that, that, you know, that gets a little off topic, but it's not in that the band has to be cohesive. The band has to be having fun. 
And sometimes you just have to take it onto yourself to be the class clown, or you have to be the one that's bringing the fun. You have to be the one that makes things exciting and and whatever. And don't worry about anybody but that crowd and you. You have to you have to be just as engaged with the person standing in front of you as the person that's all the way in the back. Right. Just remember that when you're doing it. And if you can do that, if you get your heart into it, your soul into it, I think you get more out of it. That's my that's my take. Especially in the ugly situation. All that stuff oh, yeah. in the application to you know, these kind of terrible gigs that nobody wants to do. Um, yeah, I do my best to mitigate it, and then I do my best to have fun. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, if there's any any other gig situations I've been through that I would consider, you know, even borderline to, like, some of the stuff I've seen. How about a night when the bass player isn't on, or the drummer's just totally... I've had nights when the drummer I actually have had bigger problems that. with that than anything yeah. else. Because I played Those with people who are thing. drunk on stage with me, and I'm sober, so I'm looking at them and going, "What the hell do you think you're doing?" You know, um, granted, I was a younger kid at that yeah. time. It was like um, we just kind of laughed off, you know, and you move on. But like as an adult, if somebody did that to me now, I just I would just shake my head and be like, "All right, this isn't working," because um, you know we expect people to be at least responsible enough to make sure that they can actually perform. Um, especially, you know, if you're looking for the caliber of musicians that most of us are looking for nowadays. Um, I don't know. I, I think there are probably some, some nasty situations that are not necessarily environmental ones uh, as well. Like, you know, going into a place where you've had words or, or something wrong with your writer or, you know, a contract dispute, and then you still have to go out and play. And, um, classic example was the one I saw recently and I think maybe you sent me the video where ACDC and uh, Deep Purple uh, had that, that yeah. fight um, yep. so as the story goes and, and I'll try to relay it as best I can as the story goes uh, Deep Purple was supposed to go on stage Deep Purple is obviously known for being kind of fighty alright and um, there was an argument going on between um singer and keyboard player or the, the singer guitarist and keyboard player. And so they just said, fuck it. We're not going on stage. There's a big yep. festival gig. They're headlining. So yep. they're panicking and they're going, who do we get? Who do we get? And that the correct me if I'm wrong, is Australia, right? Right. So they call up ACDC and they're like, AC/DC. can you guys come down and fill in and yep. play this gig night? And they said, Oh yeah. They, they thought about it really quickly and they said, yeah, we can do it. So yep. they hop in their limousines and they get shuttled over to the to the uh to where they're performing and um <laughs> as they're getting on stage the deep purple comes out and says no we're going to play we got this we're yeah. gonna, we're going to do this yeah so acdc's already setting up and um the crowd is getting excited cuz they're like oh acdc's here like they're going to play and then deep purple's like no you're going to get off the stage and this eventually ends up in a fist yeah. fight <laughs> and um some of ACDC's techs are fighting some of Deep Purple's techs. Yep. My understanding is the ACDC pretty much wins. Um, yeah. And that uh, as the, <laughs> as you know, I, I, I recollect it, it appeared that they both got to play that night uh, that, that Deep Purple played first yep. and then they were, no, they didn't get to play that night. That's right. 
So here's what happened. Deep Purple said, so okay, Deep we're going to play first. You guys, can play a- you guys can play after. So Deep yeah. Purple played. They got to the end of the set, and then they started tearing down the stage, which resulted yeah. in another fight yeah. <laughs> with more yeah. ass-kicking. And than- ACDC never played. And some arrests, but nobody yep. in the bands were arrested. <laughs> no. no, the band members stayed out of it, but the, the techs and the, and the roadies and everybody got yeah. into a bit of a fifth cuff. Um, uh, yeah. what, what's that song? Um, there's a Motorhead song called We Are the Road Crew. And then yeah. that, that was listening to that the other day, and I'm like, that reminds me of ACDC fighting with <laughs> Deep Purple. What a what so a time, a, man! You, it was a great show, though. I mean, it had to be. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that the behind the scenes thing would have been much funnier and and uh, more interesting than I, what happened on stage. Honestly, do you know what my fantasy was when I was hearing him talk about that? And this What's is purely that? for our show's audience, and they can laugh about it. Is what if? Dave Chappelle had gotten that as one of his, <laughs> his true stories. And then, yep. you know, if, if Char- like Charlie Murphy didn't have to be there, but they get somebody from ACDC to talk about it. And then they reenact it with Dave Chappelle playing, you yep. know, like Richie Blackmore or something. Yep. <laughs> it would have been really, really good. <laughs> I think that, <clears throat> I think as I watched that, um, that video, I've watched it a few times. As I watched that video, I enjoyed it so much in just in the fact that um, the way he tells it and the way it comes across and and the the whole um, what's the word I want? The whole thing where so many people get caught up in their in their own little worlds, you know, what I mean, and they forget that there's still there's still stuff that happens that sometimes can be bad. But you look back and it's hilarious. Yeah. I guarantee you Deep Purple, like the surviving members of Deep Purple are still laughing about it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure of it. And they probably all drink together and laugh about it now. I mean, um, that's like uh, that, you know, there's some stuff that's gone in that movie Almost Famous that that um, if you're if you're not aware, Almost Famous was a movie um, by uh, Cameron Crowe. where, because if you don't know who he was, um, he was a writer for Rolling Stone <clears throat> yep. and um, decided to go off and start making movies. So one of his first assignments as a writer for Rolling Stone was to interview famous bands and like Rolling Stones and uh, Led Zeppelin, who a lot of people said that that movie is loosely based on an amalgamation of like Led Zeppelin and some other and some other acts. But yep. but as you watch that movie and you hear them name drop some of these other famous people and they're playing poker in like back rooms for groupies and stuff, that stuff was going on. Cameron Crowe didn't fill that movie with bullshit like that stuff oh. that he saw, you know. Yeah. Um, and we tend to forget like those situations spill over to on stage. They absolutely do. I mean, think of all the 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 fights and drama that we've talked about just on this show with guys like Richie Blackmore and the rest of Deep Purple, or um, in this case, ACDC throwing down with them, or um, uh, I don't think we talked about it on this show, but but Guns N' Roses and um, uh, Metallica, threat, you know, Metallica threatening to beat a- beat Axl Rose's ass backstage, yeah, and like all that stuff. You cannot tell me that that did not affect who that what they were doing on stage but they're good enough that it's still a good show nobody's going to complain about the performance but 
that maybe the band feels like they didn't give it their all because they're distracted or um, they had some, you know, they had some other horse in the race that we weren't aware of. Right. Um, I honestly think that that may have had something to do with the riots in, uh, in I think it was what Canada or was it? Yep. States. Um, that the riots that were surrounding that that tour. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, the Metallica tour. Well, once they once they had established that they didn't like Axel all that much, uh, I think Axel may have may have been like, "Well, fuck it, I'm just not going to go on stage until like two o'clock in the morning every night, and then we'll yep. just watch people riot." You know, yep. and, and and he's the kind of guy that I feel like if if he wanted to get somebody, he would be very cerebral about it and take that kind yeah. of approach. Yeah, and he was he was totally trolling. It, it 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 may have been. I'm you know I I would not shock me one bit if he would. Do I think that somebody like Hetfield would troll? I don't. I I'm not. I'm not. Hetfield was come on the show. We could talk about it again. Don't take this as me hating him, but I don't think he has the intellectual style of anger like that, where he's going to come no. up with some complicated solution to get back at people. Prince, on the other hand. Um, yeah, did and and I was also physical too because he was abusive with Morris Day. That's right, and they got into a fist fight on stage at least once. Yep, because they toured together um, and and they could not get along. No, well, no, not I, in the least. I think Prince was just pissed because Morris Day was performing his music because he had written it for for Morris Day at the time, and he sees all the fans going nuts for them, and he's like, "What the hell?" Like, don't they even yeah. realize that? He didn't write this. I did. Yeah. So, well, you know, Prince, Prince made more than one bad. Well, I don't say bad. Made some, he made some bad business decisions. He made some decisions when it came so, to his music. So when he I went, mean, he went to his Vegas residency. He, um, gave, he gave Manic Monday to, to, uh, Susanna Hoffs because he was in love with her. Well, he was he had a crush on her. I guess. Well, let's face it. It's not like it really it. matters to Prince because he was richer than God. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, well, he obviously cared, though, about the thing. I don't think it was about money for him. Because no, it was not at all. If, yeah. If you look at um, uh, what what he did as far as his music goes, he still got um, – you, they block covers on uh, YouTube. They, you can't uh, – you know, you're not supposed to cover his music, which I found surprising that Metallica's cover went up there. But they're, Well, um, they're starting to change all that because the because the new owners of the franchise or the of the – franchise and yeah. realize that in order for the estate to exist and to become a foundation and all the things that you know that they want to do with it they're gonna have to start making money off some of this stuff so yeah that's what i'm saying and he was he didn't want to um so if you look at how he treated his music i mean that's that's one guy you'll never see uh weird al do a uh of. i saw him um i saw an interview with him on on i think it was BET. And um, he he did an interview, and they were asking him like, "Why don't you let other mu- artists cover your music?" When he and this was probably I would say probably fifteen years ago now, and uh-huh. he said and it was it was really interesting the way he phrased it, but it was like, "Look, I own my own masters, I own my own mixes. Not a lot of people can say that. That means I have the industry by the balls, pretty much." But then it was at the same time he was like. I don't want my music to be tainted by the perception that I'm licensing it to any idiot that wants to cover it and modify it and change it as they see fit. And that he wants to have control over how his music gets performed. In other words, um, we've seen things like, um, 
I think what um the guy from Soundgarden, what's his name? Uh, Chris Cornell. He did Chris a cover of, of a Michael Jackson song, right? And he yep. completely reinvented that Michael Jackson song. Prince was not okay with that. Prince was like, I wrote the song. It was supposed to be performed this way. It should be performed this way. And I think it was more or less that he was afraid that it would devalue his performance of the song. In other words, if you have, if he has a performance out that's very popular and people buy it on a CD or whatever, and that's what's selling that CD, and then suddenly this other guy's version comes out and people prefer it more and they stop, they forget about the Prince version and they're not buying that anymore. Like he's protecting his own business interests there too. But there's also, you know, this, this whole, like, um, I wrote this music in a certain way and I expect it to remain that way. And I don't really like people revamping it all that much. Not a big guy on sampling. Um, I can't really think of any instances where his music had been sampled. Um, I thought that there was one. I'm sure it's happened. I mean, but did they get caught? What if the people? I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he authorized it. But but it would be like a thing where he would have to authorize it because it because he would he he was very particular about not letting the record company when he was using a record company not letting the record company license his music to anybody who wanted it. So if you don't know right now, if you want to play cover tunes as a uh, a band in a live venue, the venue is responsible for your uh, your ass cap and, yeah, BMI, your ASCAP yeah. and BMI BMI stuff. If yep. you want to record a tune, you have to broker a deal, which is not super hard to do. Um I forget which which group you have to go through it it's it's like an ASCAP BMI type thing where you go through a place that actually arbitrates for you and typically it's a flat rate to perform to to you know record a performance of another artist's work which is why services like DistroKid can actually handle that arbitration but there yeah. are some instances like with Prince's music where you would not be able to do that I they, think I think the Eagles are the same way yeah I'm sure the Eagles would probably block you I mean it just sounds uh, like um, Eagles, Beatles, Prince. Um, who's the other ones? Oh, Zeppelin. I'm not so Zeppelin. Zeppelin actually, so they they do pursue people for not paying ASCAP BMI in live venues. I do know that for a fact because I know a band that got a place shut down. Um, yeah. but. I'm not sure that you couldn't license their music for performance. Actually, I don't think I've ever heard anybody do a Zeppelin cover. But then again, why would you want to do a Zeppelin cover? Because half the Zeppelin songs are from other people. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Zeppelin songs are pretty much covers anyway. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the ones that people like are. I mean, they're, or they're, yeah. they're very similar songs. There may not be a yeah. straight cover, but there are similar songs that you could go license. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, it's fine. You can you can fake Zeppelin pretty good without actually having to do Zeppelin if you if you want to. Um, oh, if you're yeah. going to be, let's face it, most people are not cut recording cover records. No. You know, if they're a cover band, so it's not no. as big a deal for for that kind of situation. Although I, I've thought about it, like it would be nice to cover a couple songs and put mm -hmm. them out on iTunes or whatever. Um, I may still do that. It's been a consideration of mine. Um, but you got to be careful with that stuff and make sure you get licensed properly and appropriately. I don't even yep. know how we get on this discussion. Uh, I think we were talking about, um, <laughs> we were talking about we're... stage fighting and, yes. uh, ZZ top. I was reading at some point had had some pretty 
embittered, bittered arguments on stage, um, like backstage and then went on stage and played a show afterwards. Um, yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, it doesn't have to be a fight either. Think about Ozzy and Brad Gillis. Yeah. Going through that situation. And yeah, I think we spoke about that. Brad Gillis was really in a bad situation. He, that, that was bad timing. Well, um, Brad obviously overcame. Um, he did, obviously. There are, I can't think of any situation where people didn't like muscle their way through a situation like that. But in, but in Ozzy's case, like for him specifically, I mean, Randy Rhodes is and was still his best friend. Um, Which is the man that, that got, got the shaft from the band. He stepped in to fill a really tough pair of shoes was, was Jason Newstead. And I don't think, yeah. I don't think anybody, if you look at the, the, um, that was an embarrassing moment in rock music. Yes, it was. Cause if you look at any interview with Jason Newstead, he has never ever made a bad, um, snide comment, nothing when it comes to Metallica and the way he tells the stories, he never puts it on them except to say they were just guys having fun. It was a tough situation. And, you know, yeah, he's just like, they just, I just didn't get where I was. Like, I thought I was more important than I was in that situation. I felt like I was a member of the band. And, and, um, I'm always shocked when I hear him talk about his love for, for Cliff and his respect for Cliff. But the, it was like the band didn't respect him because he respected Cliff too much or something. It was weird. Yeah. Um, and then of course they bring in, Trillo and I, I still don't I know nothing. what to make of that guy. Um, I have nothing. He's good a cartoon. To say. He's a cartoon character. Yeah, he's a meme. He's a walking meme. He really is. Um, <laughs> you know, so I have I was nothing like, good. All right, I have nothing good. Because you know, do you know who he reminds I, me of? Who's that? The guy Fieldy from Corn. Mm, yeah, and it's like it's like Metallica had to stay relevant, so they picked the guy that was closest to the relevant band at the time. Well. I mean, they pretty much traded bass players with Ozzy, right? Yes, Do I correct. remember that Yes, right? that's correct, yes. So Jason goes over and works with Ozzy. Well, before that, before that, he had another project that was going on in the middle. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a whole thing where, because um, at the time... Uh, was it Voivod? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. At the time, uh, Kirk Hammett and uh, Lars went down because... Uh, Hetfield was in was in rehab at the time. They went down to see his band and see him, just to yep. be like kind of nice and like extend the olive branch because they realized they'd treated him like a dick. And yep. <laughs> Newstead had already left. <laughs> 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 they went backstage uh, and he was gone. He was like, "Fuck them!" He, I, and he knew they were there because they were sitting around talking about. It. They're like, "Did he know we were here? Like, do you think he knew?" Absolutely new. You see a fucking limo with those two guys hop out of it, coming up to a, a venue that's small enough that you could throw a baseball from one end to the other. Yeah, yep. no, he knew. He knew. <laughs> He's just like, fuck this. I'm not sticking around for this shit. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Yeah. I don't think there's any. You know, again, he's he's spoken so nicely and so highly of everybody he's worked with. Um, just he's the kind of person that I think, you know, it, you'd like to hang out with, you'd love to have, you know, a beer with you just it's kind of, kind of, kind of guy that you could get along with. Any, I'd like anything. to ask, I have some questions for, him. I'd like to have, a, I'd like to have a conversation with him. 
I'd love to see if we could get a hold of his publicist because that I'd, would be – Yeah, because I'd like – well, I the question I would ask him is like, how do you feel about having your base pretty much removed from uh, from Ride the Lightning? <laughs> Not Ride the oh, Lightning. Uh, no. Uh, uh, Injustice for All. Yeah. Where it was all. just like if you listen to it, there's – try to tab out the base parts to see, how, see where you know that what? gets you. I saw an interview, so I saw an interview with him where he spoke about that, and of course we're we're coming up in the end. But folks, if you want to comment, please do because sometimes I remember this stuff a little wrong. But if I remember correctly, he said that that when he first came into the band, he played like a guitar player, and that he felt well. He was I don't remember if it's he's, he felt that or if he was told by I think they were working with Bob Rock at the time. That the that he was stepping on uh, James's toes in his playing, so they had to pull him back so that James stuck out more in the mix. I know you're smiling because we both know that's a line of shit. Somebody's handing somebody a line of shit, but he was so nice about it. He was like, "Yeah, they kind of had to do that to let me, you know, so that I wasn't burying James the mix and so on and so forth." But we all know that there's ways to pan and there's ways to mix, and whoever said that. I think he was just again. It's his his nature. It's his nature to be nice. I think. I, it, throw, I don't think he's got a bad bone in his body. I think. I think absolutely his story is probably correct if that's accurate. What you're telling me, and I think probably what was really going on there was like Hetfield was not going to change what he was doing in yeah. any way, shape, or form. And so for them to get a good sound, it was basically like, all right, well, he's he gets, he's going to get what he wants. Um, because yep. I know I've seen like the lineup of equipment that he used. That's actually my favorite Metallica record. Um, and yeah. I've seen the lineup of equipment he was using at the time, and I'm like, yeah, I could definitely see them stepping on each other's toes, EQ wise. And so, I think really what in in a good band situation, one player would say, "All right, I, I'll have to switch what I'm doing, so what you're doing works better, or we're going to have to come to a consensus about what we're doing." But I have yeah. a feeling that was not going to happen with Metallica. That it was very much Hetfield's way or the highway. So, well, I yeah, and I don't doubt that they could have said to to him, "Hey, here's what we want you to do outside of that." Um, because I, I mean, all right. So I, I like Cliff Burton, but I don't think Cliff Burton was all that a bag of chips. I can, uh, if you watch some of the live footage that exists of him, then it might change your mind. No, I've seen I've seen the stuff. I mean, I'm not saying that he wasn't a great bass player. I just mean that um, there are people who have played as well, and maybe since, yeah, maybe since not at the time though, and that's and that's why like where I kind of go, yeah, there are guys doing different things, but not doing what he was doing. Well, okay, maybe in the context of yeah. of metal. Well, you can't say. his approach to bass was basically using it as a uh, a lead instrument instead of a rhythm And that's why I say, like, in metal, that definitely was not happening. And now that's kind of gone the other way. You've got guys like John Young and, and various others who have kind of... Well, we see a shift from the guitar players, too. you got guitar players dipping their, their toes in the bass player pond now. Yeah. So um, it's he, he definitely influenced that genre. Um, I would. I, I still think he's a fantastic musician. Outside of that, I, we never. We don't really have any examples of work, to my knowledge. Oh, that's just a. But we well, were so young, right? So I mean, who's to say what he would have actually done? 
Um, but I will say this: like, you, there are people who go around and compare him to Jimi Hendrix. Like the Jimi Hendrix, they've called him the Jimi Hendrix of bass guitar and stuff. And like, I take issue with that because Jimi was Jimi was not old either, and he had a, a huge body of work in two years. Right. That that still has stood the test of time. Yeah. So, I mean, we have uh, um, the the thing is that yeah, what he was doing. Uh, okay, I will give you in the context of metal that it was it was very different. But if you look at the Who, yeah, I mean, and, and but so the the thing with the Who was he wasn't just emulating like basses and lead instruments so much. At, and and believe me, there's definitely some hero worship going on there. That where do you think he was uh, Clipper was getting his ideas from? But yeah. Entwistle's approach was, you know, we had a horn section on this tune in the studio, and somebody's got to cover it, and we need to we need to reinforce these snare hits, you know. And so he would come up with these unorthodox ways to do that. And it exactly. blossomed into being more guitar-like, but it yep. never stopped being a rhythm instrument. Like, that right. was just holding it down, despite the fact that he's doing all the other shit over the top. Actually, the guy that's probably the the, the um, most spectacular version of kind of like what Cliff Burton was trying to emulate. Um, although, I'm, although I will say that Cliff Burton was way better at holding down regular bass lines than uh, he is. Um, Billy Sheehan. Yeah. I love Billy yeah. Sheehan, but, but I'll be Billy honest. Sheehan. I'll be honest with you. Like I'm not listening to Billy Sheehan for the for the groovy baseline. Like that's no. you're never gonna no. find that there. No. It just doesn't that's not no. not that's not where it is. But then again, that's not really where Cliff Burton was. It wasn't a groovy baseline. No, but I mean, for the context of the music he was doing, like I they would have a very. I I think if you put those two guys on the same record and it like didn't know them, they were being recorded. Um, I think they would both have totally different approaches. Because oh. Of course, you know what I mean. Like I think Cliff Burton's would be more musical. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, yeah, I think Burton it, it wasn't so much a Hendrix of bass, but more like a. Um, and I know you're gonna um, think I'm stepping on toes here, but I think he was more like Malmsteen of a bass because he. Oh, that's he the Billy Sheehan. Played, he played more in a um. Like a, well, to me, he was only because he, he played. Um, his choice of notes and his choice of, of articulation was more classical in origin. Classical. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just think like, for, for being like the technique whore, like oh, I would yeah. see Sheehan as being way more Malmsteen esque. But as I dive more into Malmsteen's technique, I find that he's not as technically proficient as people think he is, but what, but what he does, he does exceptionally well. Um, and he uses the same tricks over and over and over to massive effect, which is yeah. really impressive. I, I can't think of another guitarist that really only does like, he really only has like five things that he does very well. And he just sticks to them and, and reinvents them over and over and over the way that Malmsteen does. Maybe, yeah. um, um, I'm having a moment. The guy from Rolling Stones. Any oh. of the guys from the Rolling Stones, really. They, they all kind of do the same, same kind Wyman? of stick with. Yeah, he him as well. Um, who's the guy that was also in the uh, Ron Wood? Ron, as well. Oh, Ron Wood. You're talking about guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ron Wood was also real. No, no one's talking about a bass player. Um, just <laughs> really good about really good about doing like the same three things over and over and over and making it different each time so that Angus Young. Yeah, yeah, he uses a lot of the same. Sadly, trickery. Um, uh, buddy guy. Yeah. Uh, BB King. I would say Buddy Guy mm-hmm. is more, uh, more, a little bit more out there, but BB King definitely. I would definitely agree with that one. 
Funny guy is still around. Yeah, I, I just read an interview with his him. Last, uh, his last record was pretty good, too. This month in, in uh, Guitar World, or last month. Yeah, so I got to see him before, yeah. he, before he kicks the bucket. Cause, yeah, he's uh, over he's your local. way, Yeah, man. he's local here, and I've never been down to uh, Legends to go see him. You should go see him. Every time, I go, I, every time I go to go, guess what? He's on tour, and I can't fucking go see him. Uh, well, hopefully, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm like, oh, can he make it another year? You know, he was talking about that. I mean, he's in his 80s. Yeah, he's actually younger than I thought he was. To yeah, be honest 80, with you, eighty-three or eighty-four? I can't remember which. I mean, how much? How old was? Uh, not how much was? <laughs> how old was BB uh, King? Two dollars. How old was BB um, oh, King, King when he, was? When he uh, oh, geez, yeah, but he had uh, he had health issues. Yeah, but he was like eighty-eight years old. Yeah, he's old. Let's, he was really old. <laughs> yeah, BB King was. Oh my god. He was born in 25 and died yeah, in 2015, dude. so he was 90. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like that's what I was saying. It's yeah. insane that he lived that long, especially the lifestyle. Yep. Now we have lost some of the guys that probably should have lived that long, like Freddie King. Yeah, and he died. But we also super have young. Every time you see a, um, a famous person like this die, you see a meme that says, "I meant to get." I meant to get uh, Keith Richards. Yeah, Keith Richards is the one I was actually thinking of when I was talking about Ron Wood, too. Because I'm like, yeah. Keith Richards is the dude that, like, oh, he, he didn't even use all the strings. Thing. Like, Yep. But Muddy Waters, we lost Muddy Waters too young. Um, you know, it's, um, of course, Stevie Ray Vaughan. That was just, that was just terribly tragic. Probably one of the, the saddest stories that uh yeah dude i ever read dude gets his life completely turned around he's ready Turns to everything around yeah he's ready to hit, go, like hit it and then all of a sudden and the whole reason he got on that helicopter was so he could well it was to get home for his wife's birthday or something yeah but it was well he, he needed to get back to the hotel so he could get up for an early flight that's what it was right. so. and so clapton let him have his seat mm-hmm. or we'd have been singing a different tune these days <sighs> So you know, I'm going to say something really insensitive and I don't want yeah, anybody to right, take this the are. wrong way, but like, but like, shouldn't it have been Clapton? I mean, come on, <laughs> come on. Clapton, we could have lost Clapton definitely. and I wouldn't even give a shit. Like, <laughs> had he already done his, um, his cream was thing? over that. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, cream happened. And then, uh, oh, that was, uh, really. he did, yeah. And that one, well, though, he did I the, mean, uh, the Derek and the dominoes and then that was it. And then now he's ready. He's ready. Take him when you're ready, Lord. It's fine. Yeah, it's good of you. It's good of you to put yourself um, uh, in the position of telling. I can't wait for that. No, I understand. I understand the reason that it went the way it did. That was that was his will. But couldn't it have been the other way? Couldn't it have been the other way? So, buddy, guy is nine years younger than uh, than um, yeah, King. Yep. Um, so he's a, he's eighty two. I say only eighty two. I hope I can live to eighty two. There's, cl- there's clips and of Buddy I hope Guy. I can play in guitar a, at there's there's video clips of uh, Buddy Guy sitting in the in the back of the club at a Hendrix show. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's just it's just incredible. Yeah. Um. So who are your some of your um uh, favorites and who have you who do you feel has already seen their uh, the height of their um fame? Do. You, are you asking me or the group? The group. We and need to. How do you feel about out. my comments about Eric Clapton versus Stevie Ray Vaughan? <laughs> I mean, you know, one of them had to die. So, I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, if we had to pick one, I, I, I think there might have been more interesting stuff coming out of Stevie Ray at the time. 
Yeah, I think, okay, so we speak about like Hendrix and and don't get me wrong, Hendrix was, uh, for those who didn't live through it or those who who at least understand that what he was doing at the time was incredible. Um, I think Hendrix would have, just like anybody else, he would have plateaued. Um, Steve Rivon would have plateaued. Everybody gets a chance. It's just that when you die so young and you're at the at the top of your game. That's what creates a legend. It does. But I think, I think so of the two, the the two people that died in their prime that are the most legendary, I think those two guys stand out so much because they were struck down in the prime of their, of what they were doing. Yeah. Like, I don't think we saw their Zenith and with a lot of other, like if Clapton had died in that, in that stead, and that's, I make a joke about it, but the truth is he hit his Zenith a long time ago. Um, and a lot of other artists, you know, they pass John Denver's one I think of. Um, I feel like when John Denver died, like he had already really done the yeah. best that he was going to do at that point. Right. Um, music. He was still doing a lot of things outside, not musically though. I mean, there, there are other cases where that's not so much true. Like uh, Jim Morrison, I think he hadn't really hit his zenith yet. Um, I, I may, may well. See, I'm not Janis Joplin. Like I like Janis Joplin. I know you don't like Janis Joplin, but like I, I feel like she, her body of work was not getting different at that point. It was like right. she, had, she was writing the plateau. She had pretty much, yeah. She had established what she was going to do for the remainder of her career, and it um, wasn't going to change. Yeah, at, at least not not foreseeably. No. Um, maybe we should do an episode about like rock stars that live so hard they should have died. Yeah. <laughs> Because there are some, well, there are some that like I am amazed. Those who, should, still those who have reached their, their zenith, I mean, Pete Townsend. Uh, you know, I mean. Well, I think I we, Pete, I think we also spoke about uh, a certain member of the Rolling Stones that probably has been forgotten by God at this <laughs> point. Richard, well, poor Keith Richards. Have you seen him try to play? Yeah. Oh my God! How the is guys, he even like uh, alive? Let alone how does he playing. Bend his fingers. Have you seen the arthritis in his hands? I feel really bad for the guy. The guy's oh. got to be in a lot of pain. Like I have respect huh. for people. I, yeah. I don't want people to think that like I'm making death jokes and like oh. being disrespectful of death and all that. But like, let, let's face it, you know, we're all going to die. It's going to happen. Um, we hope that it's at the right time. Um, right. And I think it, it's interesting to look at some of these people that lived super hard lifestyles like him. Right. And and others there. I mean, there are many others um, and really didn't get the repercussions of it the same way that others did. Um, right. We look at people like um, John Bonham, you know, dying of alcohol poisoning or Jimi Hendrix, who allegedly died of you know, drug overdose or, you know, even Elvis. And we look at these different individuals Yet we know there are others that lived harder and crazier yep. lifestyles who are still drawing breath. Yeah. With little to no consequence. Um, yeah. Who's the one I would, there was one guy in particular I was thinking of. Just, um, it's, it, wasn't, it escapes me. It escapes me. Yeah. But it wasn't Keith Richards. No. Oh, Joe Perry. Um, oh yeah. There's a good example. Brad Whitford. Um, slash. Slash. Oh my gosh, Slash! He's he's a guy. How is he still alive? He looks he's in pretty good shape too. Yeah, that's just it. 
You look at the guy. He only killed himself a couple times. I mean. Yeah. Well, he, if I remember the story right, he died on a table a couple times. In the hotel. He never made it to the table. It was in the hotel. Yeah, Yeah. they had a defibrillator following him around. Yeah. Um, Just incredible. And when you think about that kind of level of debauchery, that was not super uncommon in the 80s if you had somebody in a band that had like a major drug problem that they didn't have like a. Uh, a medical crew that was equipped with a defibrillator. Yeah. Ready <laughs> uh, to go. I mean, that's insane when you think about it. Um, but it, it's a thing and it, and it happens. So, yeah. All right. It's scary. All Everybody right, in the I'm, group. Yeah. Let's sound off all the things Jim I, asked. I asked. Let's, yeah. let's have some discussions. I have been Jim. I have been David. And we have been. Practical guitarists. Yeah. Aliens. Aliens. <laughs>